Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Welcome to Breaking the Silence. I'm Greg Williams here in Houston, Texas. My personal opinion, the most beautiful city in the world. And it's just great to be with you tonight. I literally just ran in uh, to the house just a few minutes ago and and changed shirts, got out my, my suit and tie and threw a shirt on. And, and uh, so I'm here at the last minute, but at least I made it. And we are live completely around the world tonight on BBS radio station and all kinds of different platforms. So people are listening to us right now in Australia and uh, in England and all those other places around, around the world. So just welcome to the program tonight. Uh, as you look out the, uh, the window back here, you can see the Texas medical center uh, helicopters landing there on one of the, uh, the hospitals right now. And it's a beautiful day here. It's kind of cool. But uh, we're sunshiny. It's just been a good day. Been a busy day. It's been one of those days. You know, you have those uh, where it's just like everything goes right uh, or everything goes absolutely wrong. Thank God. Knock on wood. Everything went good today. Just a good day. Got a lot of stuff accomplished. Busy, but there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I sit in that chair way too much uh, and think too much and uh, hurt myself mentally too much and emotionally, but it was just a good day, a busy day. We got a lot of things done. So I'll tell you what, if you want to get involved tonight, I really am being, I'm not blowing wind up your skirt. I'm really being as honest as I can. I think we have the most profound and uh, knowledgeable man on the scene that can tell us how to be better fathers, how to protect our kids, how to look after our boys in our life. And he has some passions that we're going to talk about tonight that's going to be second to none. And he is known all around this country. And it is a great honor to have him uh, tonight. If you want to get involved, there's several different ways to get involved in the conversation. One is you can just sit back, put your earphones on, or uh, open up your computer and just sit and listen. And, and you want to make sure you have a piece of paper and, and a pen take some information down that he's going to give you uh, about some things that's happening here in the near future that you may want to make sure uh, you know about and don't forget about. Um, but you can also call in tonight at 888-627-6008. And you can talk to, to TJ right there at the BBS radio station. He can patch you right through to our guest tonight and me. You can also get, I'm looking at it right now, on the uh, Shattered by the Darkness Facebook page that my awesome son, Curtis, uh, my youngest of three uh, boys, is up in Seattle, Washington, the United States Army, and he's running that for, for us tonight. And if there's any comments or questions, you can post them right there, and he will let us know what those are uh, during the, the commercial break. Or I'm going to be goofy enough again tonight to give you my private cell phone number, 832-396-6525. It will get you right here. And uh, you can text me um, a question or a comment. And during the commercial break, I'll be glad to look down on it. I won't do that to our guests by doing this instead of this. Uh, I'll set it to the side until the commercial break and find out if anybody has a question or comment. And I think, you know, uh, as I just reflect, normally I take a couple minutes, but it's going to be really brief tonight because I've been literally running uh, since about uh, five o'clock this morning. 
and uh, we'll be running until about and finally shut down. But um, with what has happened this week, last Sunday morning, a lady went walking in to one of our churches, one of the biggest churches in the country, Lakewood, which is right down the street here, with a rifle and her son and started shooting. Uh, in a place that ought to be one of the safest places in the world, our churches, holding the hand of her son, seven-year-old son, that was mentally handicapped, um, and he lost his life, and the police officers shot the shooter shot her too. And um, Lakewood had a healing uh, service today, a unified service to honor the all the first responders and the police officers and, and the security team and everybody that was there immediately. And first of all, I want to applaud uh, those people that put their lives on the line each and every day for us, the men and the women, not only in our military, but that are literally fighting battles and wars right here on the streets of Houston, on the streets of California, where our guest is from, on the streets of every small little town and big, large town uh, from here to New York City to Miami uh, to Seattle, where my son's at. Um, I applaud them, and I thank them for, I don't know what they get paid, but I won't let you know it's not enough. Uh, but we need to lift them up in our prayers. And every time I see one, I always go up and shake hands or at least acknowledge from a distance, hey, I want to thank you for the service that you do. Um, what's going on? And I want to talk to our guests tonight about that as we in intro into our discussion. What's going on in our world? Uh, to where we find that that is the only option that we feel that we have. What's going on in our families? What's going on in our marriages? What's going on in our parenting? And how can we turn the corner to help become a better society? It's got to be better. We can do better, folks, than what we're doing now. And what can we do? And I really believe our guest tonight is trying to make a huge effort in that. And our guest this evening is honored to have Patrick Erlinson. Uh, he is the founder and director of FatherCon. And I will let him uh, explain uh, what that is to you. And he's also the founder of See It. End It, a film and arts festival and global platform. So I want to welcome to the program tonight, uh, Patrick Erlinson. Patrick, can you hear me tonight? I sure can. Hey, there you are. Hey, you know, we've been on a couple of uh, conferences together, always on Zoom. Uh, and I just want to appreciate, thank you so much for being on the program tonight, because I have really held you in the highest regard for your mission and what you do. Uh, so tell me what it is that you're passionate about and what you do uh, with the the FatherCon and the uh, See It End It Film Festival. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's just really generous of you. I mean, I feel so inspired by you. And ever since I read your book, too, I've just been an advocate for you and all that you do, because it's it's really kind of a linchpin of what really needs to happen within the church and within within our country and, and even around the world. Um, I mean, we have we have really left an awful lot of boys in the lurch, you know, who are now becoming men who really needed to heal and didn't. And so, uh, I mean, I can give you some of my background. Is that would that be helpful? I can tell you how I got to where I am today and why FatherCon came about. That's perfect. Yeah, let's start off that way, and then we'll chase some rabbits. <laughs> Good. And I do want to say, Los Angeles, after a lot of snow in the mountains. Um, is an extremely beautiful city. Um, when when the air is clear and you can see just the mountains that look like the Alps, it's just awesome. Um, it's not always like that, but right now it's extremely beautiful. 
So oh. it, may, it may give Houston a run for its money. There you um, go. <laughs> um, but for me, it's I I uh, I was working as a teacher after returning from living in Japan for eight years. I went back to uh, teaching English as a second language, which I loved. But then the United Nations opened an office in Los Angeles around 2009, uh, right around 2009. So they opened an office because it was right at the time of the Arab Spring. So we had 40 million people were displaced around around the world, suddenly finding themselves homeless refugees. And so they opened an office to raise awareness and also to raise funding for what was occurring to people around the world. So I quit my job and started working with UNHCR in Los Angeles. And it was during that time that I first heard accounts from the the UN guys that were working on the on the ground in East Africa. And it was children escaping from the Darfur region. Like when I mean we we learned about some of the things that were happening in South Sudan with the Janjaweed kind of raiding villages and, and slaughtering people. And so a lot of the children were sent away by their parents or, you know, so, some the parents also escaped. But a lot of children were were forced, uh, you know, or or being pushed to leave and cross Egypt to try to get to Israel, because in Israel, you know, they, they could get jobs and they would get you know protected. Um, so we got this one of the reports that came in one day just kind of slammed into my heart. And it was that these children were crossing to Egypt. There were a group of Bedouins that would befriend them, take them in, feed them. Um, all the while secretly calling for a doctor to come down from Cairo and the, the children would be drugged, their organs would be removed while they were still alive and then bury them in the desert. And there was just something, the betrayal of of children who had already experienced horror and then to be you know, given this taste of kindness and then betrayed like this it was just too much. And it was, I, I, it was like God was driving a, a Mack truck into my heart. And and uh, so it, it it led me to start researching what was happening with the exploitation of children, what was happening, you know, with human trafficking around the world, and then and then just discovering how prevalent it was here in the United States, and and here in Los Angeles. So that's what kind of led me to start working with the Long Beach Human Trafficking Task Force, and and really looking at at what was happening to children today um, through sexual exploitation, and. That led me to kind of lead the prevention subcommittee of the of the task force and really focus on like, what what is it that's causing us to have 12 year old and 13 year old girls respond to some of they meet on Instagram and trust them more than their own parents and lead them into, you know, this horrific experience of being exploited by someone. So that was kind of the, the background. And then that led me to start looking upstream. Like what what is it that's causing this kind of vulnerability? And that led me to the conclusion that, that it was fathers, that, that almost every survivor of being trafficked I talked with, and even some of the buyers, even, even traffickers, there was a father connection that set for, you know, the, the either they're, they're becoming exploiters or becoming part of the demand or becoming victimized. And so that's kind of what, what led to, to starting FatherCon and the film festival. And when when you started Father Khan, what is the the mission? What was the what is Father Khan, and what's the mission and the uh, the ultimate uh, purpose and goal of establishing Father Khan? Well, that's that's really small. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it shakes the earth. I mean, we really want to move mountains. Um, yeah. So a lot of people ask me about Father Khan, like why? So uh, originally, a lot of people thought it was like Comic Con, and you dress up like some famous father, and you'll show up right. at this con. Um, but the reason I chose con was because men are being conned. We're, we're being groomed. Men are being conned to believe that, you know, taking care of my sexual urges or trying to just take things for myself is going to make me happy, when ultimately it doesn't. And and we trade away caring for our spouse, caring for our children for, you know, 15 minutes in the backseat of a car with a 12 year old. And, and that this is that men are being conned to believe that they're going to be happier, you know, being exploitive than actually being servants and, and really protecting, protecting children, which is, I think what we're really designed and, and called to be as men. Um, so it was, it was to, to try to take on this con, this social con, this cultural con you know, that there was making men believe that they're going to be happier, um, 
dominating others or exploiting others than actually, you know, becoming the person that they can, that they can respect themselves um, and can be respected by others. And so this is, you know, for me, this is the, this is the thing that's, that's so critical that's being sidelined today um, to our peril. And, and that is we've lost the, the, we've lost the, the respect for integrity and we've we no longer see being a trustworthy person as a primary responsibility or or goal for our lives and especially for men this is this is really detrimental when we when we stop caring about being a trustworthy person and that means being able to trust ourselves that i can trust myself not to follow any impulse that comes along that's going to cause harm to to others or especially to our families um so I mean, th- this is this is really what I wanted to take on was this con, and then to to revive a sense of the significance of fatherhood, that we really need to understand that there is a very unique contribution made by men as fathers and as father figures um, that cannot be replaced. I mean, it, it drives me slightly nuts. It's like your nails on a on a blackboard um, when when women say that I'm I'm the father to my children, um, you know, or I'm being both the mother and the father. Because the two roles are very distinctly designed, we're, we're biologically, chemically, psychologically designed to fulfill different responsibilities in the raising of children. And, and it's not an interchangeable thing. Um, and so I really want FatherCon to really, you know, kind of lead this kind of revival or, I mean, I don't think we've ever had it. I don't think we've ever had a really clear understanding of how important the role of the father is in raising children who are really well-adjusted, able to thrive, self-confident, know that they're worthy to be loved. Um, those things really come from the father. And so this is what, I mean, Father Khan's objective is really to, to bring, I mean, three things. These are the three, the three goals is to bring inspiration about how important fathers are. We should really be um, excited, energized, and thrilled that we have been blessed by God to be able to be fathers. Um, and this should be a role that we absolutely cherish and find our greatest joy in life in fulfilling. Um, it's much better than owning a Porsche or, you know, having a, a bank full of money. It's, you know, the, the joy that you that you get from successfully loving as a father is beyond measure. And, and I think we, we're, we're, we've lost that. And and we really need to kind of bring that inspiration to how important fathers are um, and also to inform. I think there's so much that fathers do not understand about their role and and what their their you know, how it will how they will impact their children and how they develop, how they think about themselves, how they interact with the world. Um, and then and then the third is to equip them. So we want to connect them to um, people who are doing different types of work that are really necessary, I think. I'm really looking forward to you being here in May when we have our next our next Father Con conference um, to have you out here because it's we really need all these different voices, the different people who are, who are working in an area that's necessary for men's health, um, and and your your area. I mean the 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 sexual abuse of, of boys I think is on a massive scale, and and it's and it's something that that. Whatever abuse you've experienced that you are unhealed from, you bring that into your marriage and you also bring that into your parenting. And, and our children are really suffering for it. Wow. There, there's no doubt you do, even though you try not to. It is there each and every day. Um, is is the inspiration part of where to try to get the men to realize that it's not just about the money that we bring in that causes you to be a good father. It's about the time that we spend with our kids because that's where I failed my kids. It's a wonder my kids even love me because I worked myself silly to get them more things. When they were over in the corner screaming, we don't want more things. We want more of dad. But I thought I was being the good father. Is that where our society's kind of dropped the ball uh, with workaholics? And we think that that is going to fill the gap and the void that we need because we're bringing more money into the home. Well, I, I think it is like the, the idea of being the provider, right? So I think we 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 protect, we provide, but also we educate, 
And I think this is where we kind of drop the ball is that we actually model behavior for our children, you know, for them to follow. And so if you if you focus on the provide side of things, you know, like that. So I'm bringing in the money and that's what's most important. And that's um, that's my role as the father. Then what your children see is money is more important than time with me. Making money is more important than me. So we're we're on a very subconscious level telling our children that money money matters more than 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 me, than myself, or than or than love, and more than relationships. And and this is where I think we we do drop the ball, and and we we kind of like we can kind of we're so good at justifying, right? Like you know we we can justify why it's okay because I'm bringing in money, and so the kids can go to a better school and all these kind of things, and, and those are the things that are important. So we can kind of like appease ourselves and make it feel like, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing my job. You know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing here, you know, by bringing in money. But that's really not the, the, the and this is where the informed part comes in, because now we finally, I mean, before there were almost no studies done of fatherhood. Um, it was studies were done of, of mothers and the importance of mothers, but very few studies were done on fathers until more recently. And they tell a very different story. I mean, just the, the, the absolute necessity of the presence of, of a father and what that translates into in the choices that a child will make as they grow up. I mean, so just give you one example, and this blew my mind, but there was a, there was a, a 26 year study that was done that showed that the children learn empathy from a father more than a mother. Wow. I mean, and you just let that sink in for a minute because it's like mothers tend to like, they live empathy. <laughs> they're, they're, um, this is kind of part of their job description, you know, as, as mothers is, is caring about their children, looking after them whenever they get hurt and all these things, they're, they're demonstrating empathy, but children learn empathy from the father. And, and a lot of this is done in the way that fathers play with their kids. And so this is where the presence piece comes in. Like if you're not spending time on your hands and knees with, with your children, they're missing out on the development of empathy and and so it's no wonder when you look at 80% of the people in prison are coming out of fatherless homes. You have an attraction to criminal behavior. You have being drawn into um, violent behavior, abusive behavior, you know, when you haven't had a, a, a positive father role model in your life. Um, and so I think that this, you know, you can connect the dots. If, if empathy really comes from the, the interaction with the father, then it's not a surprise that we have so many boys that are dysfunctioning in society today and in violent behavior, criminal behavior, you know, this landing them in prison or, or worse. Um, but it, so but that's it, a, that's a, uh, a confirmed researched statistic, approximately 80% of incarcerated individual individuals come yeah, from fatherless homes. It fluctuates somewhat between, you know, state by state. But it's right around eighty percent, you know. That's powerful. Yeah, yeah, and so it's, you know, you're five times more likely to live in poverty if you grow up without a father in the in the home. There's there's a lot of statistics on on the repercussions of fatherlessness or father presentlessness. Um, but this one I think is really critical, and I think we need, you know, fathers need to understand this that if if you don't interact with your children, um, if you don't play with them. There, there are parts of their character and personality they're not going to develop, you know. And and this is what really worries me is that we have so many men just like giving up on their families, walking out on their families, or being driven out of their families, you know, because of the relationship. That um, and it's leaving a lot of children in the lurch. I mean, they're they're not really cultivating that heart of of caring about the feelings of others or um being able to understand how another person feels. I'll give you one example. One, one of the, one of the ways that empathy is, is learned from the father is that, especially if you have a like siblings. So if one, one boy, he wants the father's attention. So he pushes down his little sister or his little brother so he can get more attention. Then the, the sibling is crying. Then the father will say, look, okay, that's it. We stop playing now because you know, you, you hurt your little sister. And so then the, the the child wants to play with the father. So now his response is, man, I've got to, I got to care about her or else I'm not going to be able to play with dad. And so there's this very interesting way that children are learning empathy as they play with their father. And, and, you know, you learn to take risks. You learn that you can, you can jump out of a tree and dad's going to catch you. You, there's all these things and interaction with a father that, 
that reduce the scariness of the world and give you a sense of, you know, I, I don't have to be afraid of everything that, yeah. you know, this world is actually an, an exciting, thrilling place, you know, so long as I've got dad there having my back. And, and that's, you know, you, you remove the father presence and the world becomes a scarier place. And where does the father's gain this knowledge and this information? I mean, I, I say this a lot that, you know, if I want to uh, cut somebody's hair legally in the state of Texas, I have to get a license to do that. If I want to have a child in the state of Texas, all I got to have to do is find somebody goofy enough to have a baby with me. Yep. Uh, and there's no education. There's no requirement. There's no training involved in being a parent for men or women. Where do fathers go to get this education that they so sorely need? Nobody taught me how to be a dad. I, I sure didn't get it from my own father. I knew how to do everything wrong because it wasn't done right in my world. But where do they go, Patrick? Where can they receive this education information? Well, I think that there's a point. There's a growing number of father-centered organizations around. I mean, you research in your local area, find out who's who's working specifically with fathers. Um, there, there is a growing number of of organizations that are that are popping up, um, and and there is like some support. You know, I think there there's been an, a number of years. There's been kind of a father, like a father department within the the federal government. Uh, where there's there is a recognition that we really need to do a better job of keeping fathers connected, but it's really it's far too scant. I mean, I had the experience of going to the United Nations in Vienna last May, um, and it was a it was the thirty second Commission on Crime Prevention and Criminal Justice, and so I was invited to come and, and participate in a group in a in a side group at the UN there um, presentation. But I actually got on the docket to speak to all the delegates. And so it was about 400 delegates from around the world. And, you know, the, the, my point was, if you want to, if you want to reduce crime, if you want to, if you want to help protect the, the education of, of children, if you want to deal with these issues that are, you know, part of the, the so-called sustainable development goals of the United Nations, if you really want to take care of these things, you can't bypass fathers. You can't just fund single motherhood. Um, there are a lot of negative repercussions of focusing everything on empowering women and and basically, you know, disregarding the significant role of the father. And so, you know, this was my whole pitch was that we need a whole lot more attention being placed on fathers and how to make them successful, you know, as husbands and and fathers, if we want to reduce all these other problems that are that are plaguing the world. I mean, there are currently 100 million single mothers in the world, which means that there's at least 300 million children that are growing up without, you know, a, a, a father directly involved in their life. Which is, is the church dropping the ball too? Um, I think that the the church needs to do a whole lot better job. A lot of them are. A lot of them are now starting to have ministries. They're starting to have men's groups. Um, I think the men's the promise are keepers came on. You know, they, it was a big boom. It hit the world, and everybody went to promise keepers, and all men were changed. You know, it was a it was almost like a revival internally with the men. Uh, that faded away. Um, they're still out there. They're still out there, and I think you know. And this is where you know, I really want FatherCon. We set up not as a faith-based organization, but it's very much driven by by a recognition. Um, For me personally, is like the the prodigal son story. I think is absolutely, you know, the most powerful, life-changing experience. If we really get the heart of the father, if we really catch that, what God's heart is like for us as human beings, it's so transformative. Um, and so we're very much faith centered and I really want to see the, the churches really step up and provide, you know, not just, not just men's groups, but really father centered, you know, education support for fathers, you know, to, to create more of a, you know, more of a, a network too. I mean, like, like Alcoholics Anonymous, we need something where a father can turn to someone and talk to them. But what's happening with a lot of therapy, what's happening with a lot of the, you know, therapy now is that it's very much driven by women and the way that women deal with their, their stress and pressures and, and, and issues on a mental level is, is by talking and exposing all their feelings. 
And that doesn't work for a lot of men. Um, talking about your feelings tends to make men feel worse, not better. And so, so we need to, we need to have more therapists. We need to have more people that are taking on these issues. Um, I mean, hopefully from a faith perspective, I think we, we really need to have a worldview that supports um, be, being healthy and feeling like we're, we're living in a world that makes sense. Yeah. I think one of the problems we have today is that we're, we're, we have children trying to make sense of a world that absolutely doesn't make sense. I mean, a world where you can't trust your parents, you know, where, where your father would be abusing you, um, that we're not designed for it. I, I mean, our, our brain is very beautifully constructed and designed to live in a world where there's love and trust and, and we should be absolutely thriving in, in the cultural environment that we're born into. And, and we're just not. And so you have, Every single human being is traumatized because we're not living according to what our brain is designed for. We're not living in the environment for which we're designed. <clears throat> I tell you what, 888-627-6008. We're going to take our only commercial break right now. On the other side of this break, Patrick, I want to find out, you just mentioned something I think really interesting, um, that our, you know, our environment wasn't set up to be like this. I mean, I, I, on the other side of the break, I want to talk about did the creator – from your point of view, have a system uh, established to have children be brought up in an environment of both sides, of uh, both sexes, uh, and when that breaks down, what is the ultimate outcome, and how can we get those boys protected more? And then I want to drill down a little bit deeper about this father con convention what are is that going to be all about and what can i expect when i come out to california yeah. right back after this short commercial break 888-627-6008 hang with us we'll be right back from hci publishing that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years, and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back. We have Patrick Erlinson uh, from California uh, with us. He is the founder and the director of FatherCon, and he's talking about the importance of fatherhood and how boys need that father figure with them as, they, as they're brought up. Um, do you buy, Patrick, uh, the Internet statistics that you can find? And you can find every statistic, every way you want to bend it on the Internet. And just because it's on the internet doesn't make it true. But, you know, they, they basically come to an agreement of somewhat that before the age of 18, one out of four females, girls will be uh, sexually abused. One out of seven or eight uh, males, uh, boys will be sexually abused before the age of 18. Do you buy that statistic that men, boys are less likely to be sexually abused or do you believe like I do that I personally believe 50% of men and women have been sexually abused before the age of 18. What's your take on that? I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't feel like I'm qualified to say that, that I, I could pull those numbers out. I mean, I, I just, I, I think it is much higher than, than anything that people really understand. And I think it's rising and in large part because of pornography, uh, the, yeah. the, the pornography is now turned um, as Heidi Olson, who's a, she's a forensic nurse. 
And, you know, she talks about in her hospital, they, they're the one of the top five hospitals handling sexual abuse cases in the country. And she says the, the number one demographic for perpetrators of sexual violence today are between 11 and 15 years old. Those are the perpetrators, not the victims. Oh, that's because of pornography. So they're acting out what they're seeing in porn. So we are we are clearly seeing the numbers, you know, rise. Um, I think the UK reported like a 400% increase in child-on-child sexual assault. Um, and it's being driven by porn. So porn is porn is one of the most derailing forces in in modern society. You know, because it's 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 algorithmically driven to where it increases the amount of stimulation. It increases, you know, to to keep you engaged and and keep you being led down more and more rabbit holes. You know, it ha- there has to be more and more violence, more and more abuse, more and more content that's going to be shocking and stimulating in in the greatest possible way. So we have now children being exposed to por- to por- pornography that's graphic and explicit, violent and abusive. And children are shaping their whole way of looking at other human beings and looking at their own sexuality based on what they're seeing in porn, which is completely unrealistic. These are these are not normal, normal behaviors of human beings. But for a child, they don't have a way to kind of process that. So I, I do. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't pull a number out and say it's 50 percent. I don't feel qualified to say that. But but I do think that the number is very high and growing. Um, of, of cases of sexual abuse. And that there's, I think there are very few things, if anything, that's as derailing to the, to the healthy development of a, of a child than to be sexually abused, especially by trust. Yeah. When you turn the corner and you look at the human trafficking aspect of it, when we inform and educate, if we take the fathers and get them educated of saying, Hey, wait, if you stop this, this will stop. And, you know, porn, obviously, I believe, leads people to the, the strip clubs, leads them to uh, the, the online uh, buying of people, uh, leads to all of this other uh, type of behavior that causes uh, the money to be so vast in the billions in our country of what can be earned. And, you know, we're selling now our children left and right because there's people waiting in line to buy. So if we can inform, educate, Hey guys, stop this. Uh, is that mission even possible? Well, I don't, I, and in one sense, I don't care if it's, you know, I mean, I, people all the time, they tell me since I've been working and fighting human trafficking, you people always tell you, well, it's impossible. We're never going to get rid of this. You know, I, I believe I forget which which passage. I'm, I'm not good at remembering quotes from the Bible like that. But but it's like that if I didn't plant it, it's going to be pulled up, um, you know, and, and I and I believe that that is true. I think God designed this world to be a certain type of place, a certain type of home for his children. He spent, you know, however you want to see it, if it was weeks or if it was millions of years, but but an awful lot of effort was placed into designing and creating a world to accommodate and be the most thrilling place for children to grow up in for God's children to grow up in. And, and I don't think that that was, you know, that all of that effort was not made to have a world like the one that we're living in now. I mean, I I just, I just, to me, that's just not borne out. The more that I research brain science, the more you research the potential human potential, it's like, it's absolutely insane that we're living in a world like this today where human trafficking is so prevalent and and still growing even with the awareness that's been raised it's still growing we still have you know we have teenage girls trafficking their classmates we you know it's like we've become this materialistic um society and and culture of people who are who are fed in, uh, on a on a diet of, of entitlement and and that to me is the the root of it i mean i even look at the the garden of eden story i mean you look at it as as there's many ways, obviously, of looking at the story, but but the one that really like strikes me is is that the message of 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 the tempter was what you know God said you can't have that, but it looks good. You want it. You didn't ask to be born. Just take it. You know, it's this sense that somehow, yeah, I should I should be able to get it, whether whether it's given to me or whether I've earned it or not. And that that heart of entitlement leads to 
it leads to like a, a recognition of what I don't have, right? If you look at, listen to how many commercials you hear in, in the course of one day, you know, in one hour, how many commercials are telling you that you deserve something? You deserve whiter teeth. You deserve a faster internet. You deserve everything. Why? Who decided we deserve that? You know, it's like, but this messaging is constant. And so once you, once you embrace that, once you feel, yeah, I'm entitled to, to what I don't have in my life today, and I don't have it in my life today. So someone's to blame. Someone's keeping me from what's my right to have. And so then it's to a failure to see what you should be grateful for. We stop being grateful and we start seeing our loss and what we should have. And then that leads to a justification to take. And this is what concerns me. We have really good men. We have good men that are right now, they're driving on Long Beach Boulevard looking to pay for a girl to do what they've seen in porn to her, to her body. And they feel justified in it because they've been led to believe that they deserve to have this kind of sexual experience that they've seen in porn or, or in their imagination, you know, that they're not having. And, and that, that sense of entitlement is at the root of our, of our behavior that's so destructive to ourselves and to others. And I mean, I did say one other thing, you know, when I started working in human trafficking, you, you get a lot of, you know, lock them up, throw away the key, get these guys off the street. These are monsters. These are horrible human beings. And I just don't buy that. And I think that there, there are people that need to be locked up. There are, you know, pathological people who, who, I mean, they really have absolutely no care at all for other human beings. But the vast majority of people who are out, you know, buying sex, the vast majority of them are are under this delusion of entitlement. And and they are self-harming, you know, themselves. The number one cause of death of men in the United Kingdom today, the number one cause of death of men under the age of 40 is suicide. This is atrocious in a world as stimulating, as beautiful, as as <clears throat> generous in things to be curious, curious about that we have men who are throwing away their lives because they're not finding a reason to live. They're not finding meaning in their lives. And I really believe we have an awful lot of men who can't stand to look at themselves in the mirror. You know, they're spending six hours a day watching porn. They're, they're engaging in behavior that they cannot be proud of. And that's leading them to a point where they feel that their lives are meaningless and worthless. And, and ultimately in the in worst cases to committing suicide. And and this this really has to stop. And I think this is where you know, I really hope that we can inspire more ministries and more churches. We can inspire more more groups of men to start really taking on these things. And and that's what I want FatherCon. I want FatherCon to be a conduit. We can we can support you know groups that that are set up, you know, so we can give them the information, give them data, give them you know content that they can then use um, to really help guide men through through like the the this, this onslaught of of cultural pressure to feel entitled yeah. because it leads us it leads us to a place of real self-harm and that that's what really concerns me i think you know this 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 idea that we just need to lock everybody up is just not the solution um we need to we need people to heal and change we need that the heart of the prodigal the father welcoming the the son home and saying look you were dead and now you're alive and you know, let's get on with the the business of loving and living. You know, have you had uh, an experience or an interaction with anyone in the military? Because I think that's one of the populations that we're overlooking. That the numbers are absolutely exploding with sexual uh, issues that's happening in United States military across the country in the world on these bases. Have you had any interaction or any ability, any chance and opportunity to go and talk or train? Uh, with I've never done training with the military, but one of the guys, so before I started FatherCon, we had men standing against trafficking and we used to stand on, on a street corner once a month, you know, in an area where, where trafficking was happening, where girls were being sold. And, and there were a number of experiences I had there, but one guy that I'd worked with for a few years you know, he finally told me one day that he he had been repeatedly raped by his older brother when he was uh, when he was very young, and how that like was so like like invasive of him, of who he thought he was. I mean, he he couldn't he didn't know if he's gay. You know, because there was some stimulation through the abuse, 
And so then it was like, am I gay? Am I not gay? Am I, you know, I mean, and, and that influenced all the major decisions of his life. I mean, so he ended up becoming a Marine, you know, because he had to prove that he was a man. Um, you know, I mean, his whole motivation for so many of the choices in his life were based on that sexual abuse when he was a child. And then he, he was in the military and then his commanding officer, you know, at one point he went in for a, a you know, discussion with his commanding officer. The commanding officer pushed him up against the wall and started kissing him. And I think, you know, I think that there is a lot more abuse, a tremendous amount of abuse that's happening within the military um, that is being overlooked and not really being dealt with. And, you know, and it's not just it's not just men and, and with women, you know, women officers or women um, soldiers, but it's it's also male on male. And and I think, you know, this again, I, I keep harping on pornography, but I think that, you know, when I went to Thailand, you know, I went to Cambodia and Thailand in 2016 and, and a friend of mine works, you know, there in the red light district um, where he talks to men who are coming there to, to buy sacks and and share with them the folly of their ways. Um, but, but I found that there are all these men who come from the West to pay for sex with, with 10, 11, 12 year old boys that are not gay. They've just had this fantasy created by pornography and wanting to, wanting to have this experience. And so they'll, they'll go to someplace far away from their home, their home country where they feel that it, this is, this is an acceptable thing to do and they'll experiment. And, you know, pornography has a way of of changing how you see yourself, changing your appetite, your sexual appetite, and so you are you are now at the mercy of an industry that is making billions of dollars with absolutely no concern at all for you, your well being, whether you end up in a, you know, in a hotel bathroom committing suicide or not. I mean, all, all it wants to do is drive you more and more and deeper and deeper into this. In, into their commercial enterprise where they're going to, they're going to make money from you. And yeah. that's the the tragedy. So you have, you have more and more men who are, you know, being more sexually fluid. They're having, they want a variety of sexual experiences because, because pornography is creating an appetite for experience and, and it spills over. So you have, created, I mean, besides going around the country and probably one, in my opinion, one of the most prolific uh, speakers on this subject, especially with with men and fatherhood. Um, you created this conference. Is this an annual conference? Does it happen every quarter? How often do you have a, a father con? So we have the conference is annual, um, and it's coming up May 24th and 25th at Cal State University Dominguez Hills in Los Angeles this year. Um, last year, last year we had it in the city of Downey. And we had one, one of the things I was really proud of. We we had uh, Father um, Boyle, um, who Gregory Boyle, who started Homeboy Industries, and Homeboy Industries is the leader in the world of kind of restoration of gang members, of, of being able to get people out of gangs and restore restore their life, and connect them to a sense of purpose. And and it was really just an inspiring um, an inspiring day. It was a one day conference. Uh, people got so much inspiration and information we had we had at that time i think we had 20 20 breakout workshop sessions um covering a, a whole variety of topics relevant to to families and especially to fathers um so we we really put together a, a conference that's really meant to be able to be a welcoming place for men from you know the the you know, the, the slum areas of the city, as well as from Beverly Hills. I mean, this is, this is an environment where men come and go, yeah, we're dealing with the same stuff. You know, we're all dealing with the same, the same struggles and the same battles. And it doesn't matter whether you have $10 million in the bank or whether you have $10 in the bank, we're all kind of dealing with these same issues. And how do we support each other? How do we, how do we align our hearts and our minds with our role as fathers in a way that's really going to make children able to thrive? And and it's so the conference is really about that. We give a Heart of the Father award, so we give three awards each year, and we recognize someone who has gone above and beyond as a father. So within their own family, you know, in in their raising of their of their own children or foster children, but also someone who's gone above and beyond. We had one principal of a high school who who saved you know he saved five girls from human traffickers himself personally. I mean, he went after them. And brought the girls back. Um, so we want to recognize people who have stood up and, and exemplified this heart of the father, 
which I think we get from from God, our Heavenly Father. Um, Excellent. Now, is this something that people from around the country can come to? Yes. Yeah. So we do. Is, have is it all online. online too? Is it only in person? Um, we're working on having it be both. Um, there's there's some complications because we do want it to be an, an intimate environment where people feel free to, right. to interact with the workshops and speakers. And so if that's you know something online, it, it may be a little bit intimidating and and restrictive. But we're really trying to find a way to to make it a kind of a hybrid event because we have people in Africa. Um, I've been I've been asked to come to Rwanda, to South America, to all over because this is a global problem. And we have now an increasing number of boys who don't even aspire to fatherhood. We have we have teenage girls that aspire to single motherhood, which is which is insane. I mean, you know that that we've we've been feeding girls on on a diet of of empowerment that they can do anything men can do. You know, they can they can beat up single handedly the Navy SEALs. They're they're capable of you know anything a man can do, and they can do it better. We've been we've been feeding this to girls to the point now where they feel, man, I don't need a husband, I don't need a man, I can raise my children myself. And we're seeing our our prisons stuffed with these children. I mean, it's it's very sad. But we need more men to step up. We need men to really step up and say, look, if I, if if I've got this heart of a father, it needs to go beyond my my home. We need mentors desperately. We we have we have men who have grown up without a father in their life. And now they're becoming fathers, and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to play with their kids because no one played with them. And and this is this is really my concern. So we need we need people to to really step up, you know, wherever you're at, you know. And and I mean, to your point, you know, you were saying, you know, you you drop the ball on your kids, and I think every father can relate to that. None of us has been a very a perfect father, um, but it's never too late. Our kids need oh. us for a lifetime. And and this is something I really want to get through the men, uh, because it's it's never too late for you to step up and be the father that your children need you to be. It may not be easy. You may have to do some serious healing, but we really need to be there for our kids because that hole in their hearts never goes away. Wow. They can try to replace it with something, but they need they need our, they need their father. In the last minute or so of what we have time left, who's doing this right? Who do who do we point? our children to the, the young boys to um, in our world right now that say, there's an example, follow that. Who, who would that be right now? Who's doing it right? You don't, you don't ask hard questions, do you? Um, <laughs> well, we know everybody's following Taylor Swift. Okay. Okay. Everybody wants to be Taylor Swift in the female world. I mean, well, where's, where's uh, an example that, we can point our children to, is there anybody right now? I think, I think there are. I think there are really incredible men out there. There are incredible fathers out there. I mean, I was really impressed with Bono, you know, from the, the group oh. YouTube. You know, he was, he was offered you know, millions and millions of dollars to play on the, the January 1st of, of 2000. You know, I mean, he was offered just a truckload of money and he said, no, I want to spend the time with my family. And I think we do we do have you know examples of men who are prioritizing their children. Um, you know there are people like Mark Wahlberg. There are people who who you know are really trying to live more responsibly. You know and 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 really really be a, a responsible role model and you know for their children. I, I, I just bring up one one thing. I mean Rodney King. Rodney King. All most of us know about Rodney King is you know police brutality and riots. I mean that's right. what we. Have, Rodney King's daughter came to FatherCon and she stood up in front of everyone and said, this is the most important conference she'd ever been to. And, and the reason was her dad was a really good dad. He never missed an event of hers in school. He was there for her and all of her friends who didn't have dads. He was fully participating in her life, despite the fact that he was fighting his, his alcohol and drug demons. You know, he was really struggling. And the reason I really... I was really moved by her talking about her dad was because most men now are saying, look, I'm not good enough. You know, my kids would be better off without me. And they're checking out and yeah. that's leaving their kids in the lurch to, I mean, we have 900, 700 to 900,000 predators are online at any given day, you know, 24 hours a day, they're online looking for your kids to talk to. And if we're not there for them, if we're not protecting them, then, you know, we lose them. Wow. If somebody wants to find out more about, uh, the conference out in California, uh, who's going to be speaking, things of that order. What What's the best way to do that, Patrick? Go to our website, 
um, which is www.father-con.org. So That's easy father- enough. Yeah. We try to make it a bit easy. It's the hyphen that throws some people, but. Um, and this is one that I'm coming to speak at in, in May? Yes, you are. Awesome. I can't wait to have you. I can't wait to be in the same room with you. It's like well, we've this been. going to be great. I've been waiting to meet you for a long time. Likewise. Likewise. So we're going to get some serious healing done. We're going to get men pointed in the right direction. We're going to have men walk out of there feeling like, I get it now. You know, I know what I need to do. And then hopefully we really want more and more churches to then create support systems. We we need more organizations. There's Dads and Donuts, which is a, a secular group of, of men. And, you know, they, they meet weekly and just give support to each other. It's a, it's a place for men to really talk about what they're going through as dads and, uh, and, and feel a camaraderie with some, with other dads. And we really. Where's those to- resources available at? If we want to start something at the church for, for men, is there something that you say, Hey, we've used this and it works well. Well, yeah. Contact me. You go to the website. You can you can um, send an email to me, and I'll I'll give you resources. We're starting to, to populate a page of resources on on the website. So that's great. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff going on out there. Fantastic, well, Patrick. I I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on tonight. Uh, we didn't even get to talk about see it end it uh, <laughs> that art festival and and your work that you used to do here in Houston and things of that order that I wanted to get to. But I appreciate you spending some time with us. And I can't wait uh, to give you a big hug out in California and and join forces and see what we can do. Maybe we can help some people. Yeah, we got to do it. The need is so great. And and yeah. we're all, it's all hands on deck. And anybody who's got, got a part to play, they they need to step up now because our country and, our, and the world is in a, in a serious state. Yeah, it sure is. Thank you for the work you do, Patrick. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, sir. Come back and see us, and I will see you in May in California. Yeah, and all of you listeners, come on out. Love to have it. That'd be awesome. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you, sir. Thanks for being with us, as we do each and every show. And I think Patrick's a perfect example of what he's doing and what he's trying to uh, obtain and, and make an impact on are things that seem like it could be hopeless. But as we end every program each and every week, we always tell you, there's always hope. There's always hope. As long as we still have breath, we still have energy, we still are on this side of heaven, there's hope for you. So don't give up. And I love what Patrick said a while ago about, hey, it's not too late to become the father that you always wanted to be for your kids. Hey, you're still around. Let's make that difference. Um I think I've made up some some valuable ground with my kids, but I know there's other there's more ground that I need to make up on. And uh, so there's hope for me, too. If there's hope for me, I know there's hope for you. Join us right here next week. But get on that website, www.father-con.org, and get involved. Look at the resources. Get a hold of Patrick. And then come on out in California, and we'd love to be able to sit around a table and have coffee with you personally. It'd be great to have you. Join us right here next week for another live edition from Houston, Texas. That is least in the top two with Patrick's town uh, in the country, in the world, uh, for being the most beautiful. For another edition of Breaking the Silence. God bless. Have an awesome, awesome week. Reach down and help one child this week. Make a difference in their life. They're looking for a champion and that champion could be found in you. God bless. Have an awesome week. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com and don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence.